Most of us know some of the history of President Abraham Lincoln's assassination at the hands of John Wilkes Booth, but far fewer understand the details of the conspiracy fomented on H Street or the details of the military commissions that followed. As you all know, you can only succeed on the battlefields of tomorrow if you first learn about the battlefields of yesterday. So join us today as we discuss the history of the Lincoln assassination and the JAG Corps' involvement. Hello, sir, and welcome back to another episode of Fred Talks. Uh, we took a bit of a January hiatus, uh, but we're we're back and, and we're ready to discuss the the assassination of President Lincoln and, and, and the commissions that that followed. Well, yes, we are. And it has been a while since we've talked because last time we talked, I was uh, doing a podcast with Captain Command, and now it's Major Command. And we know these promotions are slow in today's Army, so it's been a while. But yes, let's talk about the military commission that tried the conspirators in the assassination of President Abraham Lincoln, which is appropriate because February is the holiday for President's Day. And it's appropriate then to talk about the president who was assassinated, shot in the back of the head by John Wilkes Booth on April 14, 1865, while watching a play at Ford's Theater and died the next day. For those of you interested in military legal history, the bottom line up front is this is the most important military commission in legal history. Never before or since has a military tribunal been used to prosecute the murder of a U.S. president. And there's only one other occasion where a sitting judge advocate general was on the prosecution team. In uh, 1865, it was Brigadier General Joe Holt, the Judge Advocate General. The only other time there was a T-JAG sitting on the prosecution team was in 1942, when Major General Myron Kramer, then serving as Judge Advocate General, was the co-prosecutor with the Attorney General of the United States, Attorney General Biddle, in the prosecution of the U-boat saboteurs. Uh, in a military commission convened by Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Uh, The other reason that this is an important event in military legal history is because it remains a controversial event, uh, chiefly because the hanging of one of the conspirators, Mary Surratt, is problematic, and problematic in the sense that historians disagree even today, not so much whether or not Mary was involved in the conspiracy, but whether or not the extent of her involvement and her guilt merited the death sentence. And even if it did merit her being hanged, this was the first time in history that the federal government had hanged a woman and it was a public relations disaster. So the big picture is that the war starts, the Civil War starts in April of 1861. Initially, everyone thinks it's going to be pretty quick, six months maybe at most, 
Um, but the war drags on and drags on. And while initially it's a war to preserve the Union, Lincoln transforms the Civil War when he issues his Emancipation Proclamation in January of 1863. And then uh, it transforms the war then into really a war about freedom. Uh, there's still the desire, the need to preserve the Union, uh, but once the Emancipation Proclamation is issued, there's no going back to a status quo antebellum. Lincoln gives a speech on the White House lawn, April 11th, 1865, and in that speech, uh, he muses about how the United States, the southern states, will be reconstructed after the war to bring them back into the Union. And one of the things Lincoln says in this speech is that perhaps it's time to expand the, the right to vote, the franchise, to certain black men who have served in the Union Army. And listening to this speech is John Wilkes Booth. Booth is an ardent racist. He's a slaveholder. It's bad enough, as far as he's concerned, that Abraham Lincoln has wrecked the republic by freeing slaves, but now, by God, he wants to give black people the right to vote. John Wilkes Booth is so outraged by Lincoln's idea of advancing the franchise or opening the franchise up to some black uh, men that he decides to kill him. And so that's why just a few days later, April 14th, he goes into Ford's Theater. John Wilkes Booth is an actor. He's quite well known. Um, today, maybe you'd say he's sort of a Lenny DiCaprio kind of uh, actor, that sort of level. Everybody knows him. He gets into the theater because he belongs in the theater. He shoots the president. The president dies the next day. So. He's captured after a manhunt, and the investigation done by the War Department reveals that John Wilkes Booth is the prime mover. He's the shooter, but then there are these other conspirators, uh, including Mary Surratt, who runs a boarding house in Washington, D.C., and where the conspirators had met and hatched the plot that resulted in the president's uh, murder. You need to remember, if you know your history, you've read about this, that originally it was a conspiracy to kidnap the president. The idea was that Lincoln, who often went around uh, Washington on horseback, completely unprotected and unguarded, uh, would routinely make a trip up to a hospital to visit Union soldiers. And John Wilkes Booth and Mary Surratt's son, John Surratt, and the other conspirators planned to kidnap Lincoln uh, in March. And we think the idea was that they'd take him across to Richmond, Virginia, to the capital of the Confederacy, and maybe this would force the Union to come to a negotiated peace, because after all, if you have the President of the United States, maybe you've got some bargaining power. Well, the conspiracy to kidnap fell apart because on the day they were going to kidnap Lincoln, he simply didn't go. He stayed in the White House. 
So the conspiracy to kidnap sort of dissipates, and then the conspiracy is revived, but transformed into a conspiracy to kill the president on April 14th. And how do we, you might get to this down the road, sir, but how do we know all this? Does this come out of the commissions, or is this something that that we discover and uncover later on? No, this really all comes out uh, as part of the military commission process, Um, and it's not really too hard to figure out because the conspiracy to kill Lincoln was not just a conspiracy to murder the president. Uh, One of the other conspirators, uh, Louis uh, Thornton, he uh, was tasked with killing the Secretary of State. Atzelrod, one of the conspirators, was supposed to kill Vice President Johnson, uh, but he lost his nerve and instead got drunk. There was always a rumor or a belief that maybe someone was out to kill Ulysses S. Grant because President Grant and his wife Julia were supposed, were supposed to join the Lincolns at Ford's Theater that night. So a lot of people forget that this was not a conspiracy just to kill the president, but in fact to kill the Secretary of the State, Secretary of State, the Vice President, maybe Ulysses S. Grant, which is why... The Secretary of War, Stanton, and the Judge Advocate General were convinced that this was, in fact, a conspiracy by the Confederacy to decapitate the Union government. So think about it. We can't achieve on the field of battle our independence uh, because Bobby Lee has surrendered. But if we decapitate the government, if we kill the president, the vice president, the secretary of state, won't the Union be thrown into such chaos that we might be able to achieve what we want as the Confederate states? Um, And so what's really driving, I think, the military commission is this tremendous fear on the part of Secretary Stanton and Judge Advocate General Joe Holt that this is really an attempt by the Confederacy to uh, destroy the government. And that's why they insist that this is a war crime, that this is not some sort of personal uh, vendetta or desire to take the president's life because of some personal grievance, but in fact a war crime. And technically, okay, uh, the conflict is not over because, as I said, there are 175,000 troops, Confederate troops in the field. Um, But we have a military commission because it's a war court for war crimes. And was there was there lively debate about whether this should be tried in a civilian court? Uh, or, or, or was it uh, because of the gravity of the crime, there was some deference to the military to say, take this as a military commission, military court? There were some very spirited discussions uh, in the government, and there were more than a few who said, uh, no, this should not be a military commission. Uh, The courts are open and functioning in Washington, D.C., and this should be tried in a civilian uh, courtroom. But the Attorney General of the United States, James Speed, issued an opinion in which he concluded that because a state of war still existed and because of the nature of the attack, that not only were these war crimes, but they were crimes that must be tried at a military commission. But what's really important is that Stanton and Holt wanted a military commission. 
because of the advantages that a military commission gives. So in a civilian court, you have to have a unanimous verdict. At a military commission, you only had to have a majority vote. If you wanted the death penalty, two-thirds vote at a military commission. There was no presumption of innocence at a military commission. And that's important. And you'd better believe that the panel didn't believe in a presumption of innocence when they finally heard the case against the conspirators. Another great advantage is that there was no appeal. Uh, if you tried a case in the civilian court in the District of Columbia or Washington City, as it was then called, there would have been a right to an appeal. Another problem was that at this particular time, only adult white males could serve on a jury. Well, in Washington City in 1865, any white male with union sympathies is serving in the army. And so Stanton and Holt both realized that a jury made up of citizens, white male citizens from the city, would likely contain jury uh, Confederate sympathizers, and you might have a jury nullification. And then the other real advantage of the military commission was that it was all going to be union officers, all officers who personally obtained their commissions from the President of the United States, and consequently you'd have to believe would be sympathetic to um, the government's position. So there were all sorts of practical reasons that you wanted a military commission, and if you're really, really afraid that there might be another conspiracy floating out there, you want to stomp on this as fast as you can, and a military commission will give you speedy results. Right, so advantageous to swift justice at the expense of due process that you might find in the civilian uh, equivalent. I, I think that's true. Um, these are courts of extremely narrow jurisdiction, military commissions, um, and and talking about due process, for example, at a military commission at this time, and even today, all evidence probative to a reasonable person comes in, which really means anything that's relevant comes in. Uh, and so this was really important, too, to the military commission. So the the commission is supposed to start trying the, the Mary Surratt and the other conspirators on the first day of May. So look how quickly this process is working. Lincoln is dead on the 15th of April, supposed to start trying the case two weeks later. In fact, the case doesn't get started until uh, May 10th, and it's over in July with uh, everyone convicted and four of the eight are sentenced to terms of imprisonment and four are sentenced to be hanged by the neck until dead. The entire military commission takes place over at today uh, Fort uh, McNair uh, in the district. And um, in fact, if you're interested, the courtroom where the conspirators were tried is still standing and you can get a tour of that facility. And, and can you tell us a little bit about the attorneys that were in the courtroom? It was um, it, uh, unusual for us to hear that, that the Judge Advocate General was in a courtroom, 
Um, what about on the defense side? Or, or were there additional prosecutors or, or, or defense attorneys? Yeah, so uh, Joe Holt, the uh, judge advocate general, he's the prosecutor. But the real work, although he's there and certainly assisting in the trial, the real work is done uh, by a congressman by the name of Bingham. And Bingham, and Bingham is, is actually quite famous uh, in the legal community because He's the principal author of the 14th Amendment. Probably, at least for those of us uh, practicing law in America today, the 14th Amendment, if it's not the most important amendment, it's certainly one of them because of its promise of due process. Um, and uh, then there's also another prosecutor by the name of Henry Burnett. So it's three prosecutors. Uh, at the military commissions, it's really a beautiful system if you're a prosecutor because the three prosecutors are permitted to go back into deliberations with the panel members to help them reach an appropriate verdict. They don't get to vote, but they do get to be back in the discussions. Now, all of the accused have defense counsel. Uh, some are lawyers, uh, some are not. Um, as for the panel members, they're all uh, union officers. Um, David uh, Hunter is the president. They've, all of them are shooting officers who've seen combat. Uh, probably the most famous to us today is Lou Wallace, who's the author of Ben-Hur. But they're found guilty. And again, uh, Mary Surratt is hanged. The three others are also hanged. The man who tried to kill... Uh, the Secretary of State, he's hanged. Uh, George uh, Atzelrod, who was tasked with killing Vice President Johnson, he hangs. Uh, Mary Surratt hangs. Uh, and the other conspirator who was with uh, John Wilkes Booth when he was surrounded and captured in the farm, uh, he's also hanged. No one is really sure the extent to which Mary Surratt, and she's usually singled out as being the most problematic, everyone agrees that Mary Surratt knew about the conspiracy to kidnap. Did she know about the conspiracy to murder President Lincoln? I, I don't know, but under the rules of conspiracy, as you know, as long as the result is foreseeable, well, you're liable. And the other thing is that Mary Surratt knew what the conspirators were up to. She could have saved Lincoln's life if she had gone to the authorities at any time and said, there's a conspiracy to harm the president. Because after all, suppose in trying to kidnap President Lincoln, a guard had been killed, or even the president had been killed. Uh, they would have been guilty of murder. Well, sir, I, I appreciate it, and uh, I'm happy to be back uh, recording Fred Talks again. Happy to, to to do it as a major, which means I, I have to spend less time preparing your pre-show room as well with the, the meat and cheese platter. But uh, sincerely appreciate it. Good to be back, and, and, and thanks for the show. You're welcome. See you next time.
interested in providing material to the JAG Corps' Future Concepts Directorate? Reach out to us via Twitter or LinkedIn at JAGFCD. Or visit our website at tjaglix.army.mil forward slash FCD. That's tjaglcs.army.mil forward slash FCD. We're always on the lookout for the next guest, topic, discussion, or yes, even the next Fred Talk. As always, the views expressed on the podcast are the views of the participants and do not necessarily represent those of the Judge Advocate General's Legal Center and School, the United States Army, the Department of Defense, or any other agency of the United States government. Reference in this episode to any specific commercial product, process, or service, or the use of any trade, firm, or corporation name is for the information and convenience of the public and does not constitute endorsement, recommendation, or favoring by the Department of Defense. Remember that you can only succeed on the battlefields of tomorrow if you first learn about the battlefields of yesterday. So thank you for joining us today. We'll catch you on the next episode of Fred Talks.